Chapter 22, 10-7. 10-7, Chapter 22. I woke up from a dead sleep in the total dark. At first, I swore I'd heard the crack of a shotgun ring out. When I looked around, though, Willie was sawing logs and hadn't even budged. There was nothing. I got up and wandered over to the window, but still nothing. It was just nighttime out there and quiet, real quiet. Almost too quiet. It must have been one of my dreams, but I couldn't remember anything about it. I laid back down and tried to go back to sleep, but just ended up staring at the ceiling for a long time. James Earl Green had been walking home from his after-school job sacking groceries at the Ragabag when he had heard loud noises like there was a party going on. James had the face of a charmer. Smiling always came easy to him, even though he didn't have a lot of spare time for the kinds of things in life that made you smile. After school, he worked at the grocery store six days a week till 10 at night. He gave his $12 a week salary to his mother to help care for his younger brothers and sisters since his dad had left. His youthful curiosity must have caused him to alter his route that mid-May night so he could see what all the fuss was about. It seemed to be coming from the college, Jackson State. He was going to be one of them soon, one of the college kids. That idea made him swell up with pride. James had big plans. He had been working hard at Jim Hall High School to make his vision become a reality. He was going to apply to UCLA way out in Los Angeles, California. People would smile at him and kind of roll their eyes when he'd tell them, but he was going to school there, just like when he ran the mile and won. He was going the distance. They would see, they would all see. It was right before midnight. He looked at the other people in the crowd and asked somebody what was going on. The guy just shrugged. A line of blue helmeted armed officers faced the crowd at a standoff. Some of the girls up in the dormitory were looking down from the high windows. A Coke bottle fell off and hit the ground with a pop. The police opened fire as the crowd parted and tried to run away. Everybody started to scatter right and left in front of the dining hall. James began to run too. He could run fast. He was a star miler at Jim Hill. Everybody always said he was the best runner on the track team. Most often he won, they all said. For some reason, his feet wouldn't move. All the other people were taken off, yet he just stood there frozen in his spot. He felt cold, and that's when he looked down and saw the blood. It was spreading all over the pavement. It was his blood. That was his final thought when he looked up at the sky for the last time. James Green, unarmed and only 17 years old, had been shot to death with a shotgun. The newspaper published one photograph of James Green. When I saw it, I felt like the wind got knocked out of me. It was the same boy I'd seen turned away that day with Grace at the downtown Suites restaurant there in Jackson. Remembering that hurt almost worse than the other news. It was that kind of hate that caused it in the first place. All they wanted, that young couple, was to be treated like other people. And the three of us had sat and watched it in silence. Over the next few days, media coverage would vary on the story. You had to read between the lines to get at the truth. Mrs. Canterbury's class helped me understand what really happened. 
You hear adults say things like you'll need to take this subject or that one for later on. They tell you it will prepare you for life. Who would have ever thought democracy would make sense out of how something like the Jackson State Massacre could ever happen? We discussed the shootings in class. Mrs. Canterbury encouraged us to talk. She was a big believer in communication. We even brought our desks together and functioned as a regular class after the shootings rather than as countries. The American Heritage Dictionary calls truth, sincerity, integrity, honesty. The Clarion Ledger's account of what happened that night that left the bodies of James Earl Green and Philip Lafayette Gibbs shot dead on the ground was anything but the definition for truth. The paper made a typographical error in James Green's name, the ultimate degradation. And from a respected newspaper, I'd been raised in a newspaper family and taught that truth is an important thing. Even from a composing room point of view, where it takes a lot of physical work to set hot type, melt it down, and then do the whole thing over again, day in and day out. Words are important. The Clarion Ledger made out like the two murdered boys, James Earl Green and Philip Lafayette Gibbs, were the troublemakers. In fact, People who asked questions were referred to as Negro leaders and liberals trying to use the murders as an effort to raise interest toward a fever pitch. The coverage was skewed. Their coverage sounded like the entire crowd that night were rabble-rousers. In fact, people who asked questions were referred to as Negro leaders and liberals trying to use the murders as an effort to raise interest toward a fever pitch. The coverage was skewed and treated investigative reporting as a bad thing. The article seemed angry about the intention the two murders had aroused. Articles bragged about Governor John Bell Williams shutting down the scheduled prayer vigil by publicizing a huge order of anti-riot equipment outfitting police squads with M1 carbines to corral the scheduled prayer meeting seemed extreme. Local police were joined by the State Highway Patrol, the National Guard, and a whole bunch of agents from the Justice Department. They were ready for action like characters out of the comics, but this wasn't make-believe and there was nothing funny about what had happened here. They sent Philip Lafayette Gibbs home to Ripley, Mississippi to quietly be buried by his family. The coverage was quiet too, only saying he had a young wife and a son who had just turned 11 months old. That's about all anybody had to say about Philip Gibbs, who had dreamed of becoming a doctor, but had opted instead for pre-law due to a lack of money. Could that, the study of the law, have been his downfall that night? Had Philip Gibbs' young legal mind have caused him to walk over by the girls' dormitory to investigate the commotion? Had studying the law given him a false sense of security? Like Emmett Till's hat? Like Jackie Johnson's protest march? Philip Gibbs was killed with a load of buckshot. They say it takes a load of nine 33 caliber balls of double O buckshot traveling at nearly 1,250 feet per second when they leave the muzzle to knock down the prey. The highway patrol fired hundreds of rounds 
and they shattered every single window on the Lynch Street side of Alexander Hall. Nobody knows exactly how many shots the State Highway Patrol fired that night, but the estimate was between 140 and 460. Nobody even called an ambulance until the lawman got through picking up every single one of the bullet casings. Blood stained the walkways for weeks afterward, and bullet holes are still visible in the girls' dormitory today. Later on, it was disclosed that all the students and protesters had been separated from the police force by a four-foot chain-link fence. They could have used tear gas or less aggressive methods to try and break up the protest, but they chose not to. Every one of the officers later testified under oath that students were running toward the dormitory when the shooting began. Only one, the commander, Inspector Lloyd Jones, told a different story. He radioed into headquarters. I think there are about three more nigger males over there. One of them shot in the arm. One of them shot in the leg. And one of them somewhere else. He went on. They ain't hurt all that bad. Them gals. It was two nigger gals. Shot in the arm, I believe. There are two nigger females and three males we just discovered. That's a total of ten. Here's another one. Let me see what this is. When he referenced James Earl Green and Philip Lafayette Gibbs, Inspector Jones continued laughing. We got two students 10-7 here. In scanner code, 10-7 means out of service. Philip Gibbs and James Green were shot to death in a bloody massacre. And to this man, to Inspector Lloyd-Jones, it was a funny joke. One student reflected on the tragedy of what happened that night to a reporter. They throw rocks because they are angry. And they throw rocks at cars passing on Lynch Street, those cars carrying whites. Always in the back of your head, you're thinking, Somebody hasn't been doing something right all along, and if you can't get to the source, get to the next best thing. If you can't get to the politicians and the government officials that are white here and get them to do a little better, then you get to the next best thing. You get something that looks a little like them, I guess. What happened that night caused a rift between myself and Melvin. It wasn't anything you could put your finger on. Melvin wasn't dramatic that way. There was nothing direct. Had there been, it probably would have been easier to lose my friend. A fight or maybe some yelling. That would have been less painful. Instead, there was a withdrawing that only the two of us felt, and it cut like a knife. Melvin had never talked outright about it, but when you're close with somebody, you pick up on things. I knew he liked the boy on the track team back at Jim Hill. Melvin would get a certain look in his eyes when he talked about the track star and how he had finished first every time. I would get that look about Creedence Clearwater when I'd see them on TV, so I knew the feeling. More than school spirit or that over-the-moon pride that fills you when the winter breaks through that tape, it was something really special how Melvin felt, and I knew better than to ask him about it. It was personal and it was deep. 
After those shootings, though, Melvin and I were never the same. The policeman had done a greater harm than anybody would ever know about. I'd always heard adults talking about racial boundaries and the like, and everybody's opinions from all sides. They all seemed to have strong thoughts on the matter, how you're not supposed to mess with things, and how you can't change your leopard spots. I'd thought I was different somehow and beyond it. I had thought I was unique. Boy, was I wrong. 10-7 turned out to mean a lot more than I'd thought. It was more than police terminology for out of service. It was people who were walking around making plans one day and the next minute they're gone. Forever. It was thinking you had a friend you were going to have for the rest of your life and then realizing just like that it was all over. Melvin was still in the Germany group, but his chair wouldn't be so close. It was little things like that almost subliminal movements that would happen. Things you'd taken for granted that were gone. How could something so slight have such an astounding impact? All of the events that had happened to me, Davy, Grace, Big Jim, had hurt me, but nothing hurt like this. Losing my friendship with Melvin had cut me to the bone. I could handle most anything and I'd proved it. Maybe Melvin was hurting for what happened to those boys at Jackson State. Maybe he was mourning his friend James Earl Green. What I knew is those killings had separated us into white and black. It had put a big rift between us as big as the Berlin Wall.